Gina Della from Pella. Choose five years no interest and five months no first payment or 10-year 2.99 APR financing. Ends August 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I was listening to Mike Spaulding's newscast, and apparently like a 1,000 people last night in Elm Grove and Brookfield lost power because a big tree limb came down. It... it I, my my weird story about that is it was a week ago Saturday and I was I was playing golf with a group of guys and the the golf course I was playing at there, there's homes that are like along certain portions of the golf course and we've all hit our tee shots and we're walking up to the ball and then all of a sudden we hear this loud boom and it was a giant tree limb in a a yard that was in like adjacent to to the golf course it was in the backyard and this giant tree limb just, just came down now this was, there wasn't too much wind there wasn't anything else it was obviously a tree limb that had been kind of teetering and damaged and it just came down now thankfully the tree limb came down and there were there weren't kids underneath it and it didn't fall on a, a house or anything like that but it was like this loud thump and I, I really I remember thinking man there's probably a lot of these these tree limbs that kind of got damaged in the storm just waiting to go and apparently that's what happened last night in Brookfield and Elm Grove one of those big tree limbs boom you know go goes down hmm. so um, I think we're going to still be experiencing the aftermath of those storms for quite a while hey a news update and and I know we've talked about this on the program and if you turn on the radio news or the TV news or you know, pick up a newspaper you, you see this a lot of lot of issues with school boards and, you know, as we try to get back to school, and it's one of those situations where you, you really, I think it's very difficult to please anybody because you've got some factions of parents who, who don't think kids should be back in school at, at all. And it's just, it's too dangerous and it should be virtual, period. And you've got, you know, some teachers unions who don't want the teachers back in school at all. And then you've got the other side where you have parents who think that we should be open for five days and there shouldn't be mask requirements. And there's people everywhere in between. So if, if you're a member of a school board, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to like sort of dance through minefields and some school boards do it better than others. One of the, the school boards that's been, well, it's sort of on the firing line has been, um, out in, in Mequon, Mequon Thienesville. And th- there's a, it's, there's not really one issue. There's several issues, but a very, very vocal group, group of parents. And I think a relatively large number of parents uh, became upset with a series of choices that the school board had made. And there's been, it's been one of the most aggressive recall campaigns that I have seen since, well, actually since the, um, I, I guess, it would be since the Scott Walker recall over Act 10 in 2011 or 2012. And then before that, it would be the Milwaukee County pension scandal recall. But, I mean, if you have been anywhere in Ozaki County, for example, particularly in Mequon and Thienesville, over the course of the last month or so, I mean, you, you've seen a huge petition drive. The people who were motivated to do this were extremely motivated to do this. And you'd see them going door to door and they'd be um, setting up, you know, tents and stuff on street corners and things like that. Well, the bottom line of this is that the announcement is that citizens organizing a recall of four members of the seven member Mequon Thienesville School Board, they say that they have now achieved 
their their goal. Um, you needed forty one thousand. 4,150 signatures to start the recall process. They say they have in excess of that, and they say that they're going to officially file the um, recall petitions this afternoon at the appropriate place. So, um, again, there's a process that goes on because what happens is you then have to vet the signatures to make sure that they're valid, make sure that it's people who do live in the immediate area and things like that. But um, at least the recall organizers claim that they have been able to obtain enough signatures. And now you're you're kind of off to the races with this. I'm not a big believer in the recall process. As I've said before, I think that... uh as a general rule, I think that elections have consequences, and if you are unhappy with policy decisions that elected officials make, well, okay, the next time they come up for election or re-election, you, you, you vote the scoundrels out, if that's what you feel they are, as opposed to, yeah, to me, recalls are things that you use for malfeasance or misfeasance, but in this particular case, um, if if the numbers hold, looks like you're going to have a recall election of four of the seven members of the Mequon Thienesville School Board. My understanding is the recall organizers have a slate of candidates who are prepared to run in a recall election if one is called. So just kind of an interesting development. And like I say, it's a tough time, agree or disagree with any sort of thing. It's it's a tough time to be a member of a school board now. I, I think that's always been kind of a thankless job. And uh, the, the whole pandemic situation hasn't made it any worse. I always tell the story. I had a, a f- one of my late wife's, and she was a partner at a big law firm, at the biggest law firm in the state of Wisconsin. And one of her partners was on the Shorewood School Board. This is years and years ago, long time ago. And the Shorewood School Board, back in the day, was going through all sorts of controversies. And there was all sorts of people in the community that were upset with them, and they had personnel issues and whatever. At one point in time, my friend, one of uh, Sue's partners, who was on the school board, he had, there, there were lawsuits that were filed against the school board and against the school district and against the school board members individually. Now, they were never... You know, the, the school board members were never going to be individually liable for these things. And I don't think any of the lawsuits went anywhere. But at one point in time, my, my buddy, he had like $25 million in lawsuits against him for serving on the school board. And the, the, the problem is that whenever you, whenever you take, if you go to take out a car loan or you apply for a home equity loan or, or a credit card or whatever, you have to list, you know, the, the pending lawsuits and stuff. So you have to list all these things, you know, along with a letter of explanation. And I kept saying, oh, okay, you know, so, so, I understand that you're never going to have to pay out $25 million, but it is a pain in the butt that you have to list all this stuff. You know, how, how much exactly do you get paid for being on the school board? And he said something like, like 2100 bucks a year. And I said, okay, well, that is a dedicated public servant. All right. 855-616-1620 is our number. Um, over the course of the last several months, when we have talked about the COVID vaccine and the reasons some people have for not getting it. One of the first things people have said, I'm not going to get it because it's only been authorized for emergency use. It has not yet been approved. And and that's been, uh, of course, that that has been the, the, the standard. You know, when we rolled these out, it got sort of like an emergency use to, to get it in people's arms, but it had not been formally approved. And a lot of people were saying, well, that that's it. You know, until the FDA signs off on this, it's an emergency thing. It's experimental. You know, we, we don't want to do it. 
Well, okay, that changed today with regard at least to the Pfizer shot. Um, today, um, the FDA has issued its full stamp of approval on the Pfizer vaccine. So this clears the way for it's no longer emergency use. It clears the way for companies to market the vaccine, which you cannot do unless it's fully licensed. Um, it has the potential now, I, I think, of, of leading perhaps to more mandates, because one of the things that I think some employers have been holding off on is the fact that it, it is it is, up until today at least, Pfizer had only been authorized for emergency use. Now now that has changed. So it puts it in sort of a different legal situation. It also allows doctors to prescribe booster shots off-label, that's what they call it, to anyone who they think should get one. So it, it's a big deal. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, like I say, over the last several months, when I have spoken to people asking, okay, why have you made the decision not to get vaccinated? I would say the number one reason I hear is, well, it, it hasn't been approved. It's only been authorized for emergency use. And candidly, I've always been sort of skeptical of that explanation. I mean, to me, it's like, yes, I, I understand that that's, that's the true situation, but I, I, I've always felt that that was kind of an excuse that maybe people were using. So let's tee this up. Now that the FDA has authorized the Pfizer vaccine, and my guess is the Moderna one's going to come pretty soon, now that they have issued their full stamp of approval, is this going to change the dynamic? Is this going to cause people who had been holding off to now get vaccinated? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Oh, okay, for the last seven or eight months since the vaccines got rolled out, I, I have I've heard from a number of people who said, well, we're just we're not comfortable getting the vaccine because it's still in the emergency use phase. It hasn't been fully reviewed and signed off and we're just not comfortable. And my feeling all along about that has been I think that that's just been been an excuse. Now, this, this isn't to lecture people on whether you get the vaccine or not, but the fact that the, the FDA hasn't officially moved it from emergency use categories to the regular use or the approved thing. To me, I, I think that's always been an excuse. And I guess my feeling is today that this decision, does it give lawyer, does it give employers, for example, more, I think, legal coverage if they require it and start putting in vaccine mandates? Yes, I think that's the significance. But for people who haven't gotten the, the vaccine, I think I, I don't think that even if they even if those folks were saying that the reason they weren't getting the vaccine is it was only as an emergency thing, I don't really think that that was the issue. I think that there's all sorts of other issues, and I guess that's why I don't believe today's decision moving it to like approved use. I don't think that that's going to suddenly cause all sorts of people who might have been sitting on the sidelines and say, okay, well, now I feel comfortable getting it. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's the text. Jeff, I will not get the vaccine, period, because I never get a flu shot. This virus is essentially the flu, my body, my choice. Also, I'm in the top 10% of my age group, 58, and I am in great health. Okay, well, that, that that's all well and good, but if 
again, and I, I believe that. See, I think the people, and this is the problem we have in this country, I think the people who have made the decision not to get vaccinated are, are pretty much dug in. And, and I, I don't know that there's going to be anything short of mandates. You are going to lose your job unless you get vaccinated. I And I, I don't think that there's anything short of, of mandates that are going to cause a lot of people who are, are dug in to, to suddenly now decide that they're going to get the vaccine. I, I And look, you're ta- this is from the perspective of somebody who got vaccinated as soon as they possibly could and had no adverse reactions. And candidly, you know, when 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 I'm due for the booster shot, I'm I'm going to get the booster. I mean, there's no I, I've had no problem with that at all. Here's a text, Jeff. I don't see this authorization making any noticeable difference in vaccine rates. It's still the vaccine, same vaccine it was last week, and the unvaccinated are dug in. Yeah, I uh, think that's true. Okay, now here I have a text saying, "Nope, I'm going to get the shot. This is what I was waiting for." Well, um, okay, um, okay. That's that. That I think is obviously what what some of the authorities are, are hoping that there will be people who now say, "Hey, the FDA is the F- FDA. The FDA has has waved its you know magic wand over this stuff, and they've said it's okay. So so now people will run out and do it. See, I, I think what's happened over the course of the last several months is I think a lot of the people who are Questioning the vaccine's efficacy, you know, if, if questioned candidly, I, I think the botched way the government has handled this pandemic from the beginning by saying follow the science and then changing what the science is on an almost weekly basis, appreciating that sometimes the science does change, but it doesn't necessarily change as quickly as the CDC would have you believe that, that it changes instead of some of these knee-jerk reactions. And I think the way that we have handled this candidly collectively has caused, again, some people to have doubts in the efficiency and the safety of this. I'm not one of those. But for everybody who thinks that now there's going to be this sudden sea change, I, I just don't, I just don't see this happening. Um, but, you know, and, and again, then there's, then there's somebody that just texted me saying, well, you know, even though they've approved it, there's concerns that the FDA had shortcuts in approving it. So how can we trust them? To me, again, that's one of these situations that it's to me, it's people that are have made the decision right, wrong, indifferent, that they don't want to get vaccinated, who are looking for different reasons to justify that decision. And at this point in time, I mean, I'm not being critical of that decision. I think you can be pro-vaccine like I am, encourage people to get vaccinations, but yet be like anti-vaccine mandates. And I am an anti-vaccine mandate. But now the FDA says it's okay. Will that cause a lot of people to suddenly say, okay, now I feel comfortable? Sorry, I I don't think so, because I don't think the FDA emergency use versus regular authorization, I don't think that's what was really stopping people from getting vaccinated in the first place. To the extent it was, that barrier has now been removed. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Well, this is is no surprise. You will remember, oh, about 10 years ago in, in a final fitful hissy fit designed 
to unsuccessfully stop the passage of Act 10, you had 17, I believe it was 17 Democrats in the US, in the state Senate who, who fled the state, went to Illinois to try to block a quorum stopping this legislation from going, stopping the Act 10 legislation from going through. I, I felt that was very anti um, small D democratic. I mean, like I always say, elections have consequences. And, you know, this idea that here, we're going to flee the state, we're not going to do our jobs because the majority party is passing legislation that we don't like. To me, I, I thought that that was, I just thought that was a horrible misuse of public trust. And in any event, it didn't work because they, they couldn't stay gone forever. Well, we saw the same thing happened in Texas. Texas is passing some voting voting rights changes. And if you would listen to some of the commentators and stuff, you would think this is the end of the world. And actually, without going into too much detail, if you break down what they're doing in Texas, it's really a lot of common sense stuff. And it's not the return to Jim Crow. And it's not this terrible thing that's going to make it impossible for people to vote. But nevertheless, in an effort to sort of pander to their constituencies, what happened is you had 50-plus Democrats, I think 55, who who left the state in order to prevent a, a quorum from being held in the uh, Texas House of Representatives so that they, they couldn't work on this legislation. And the thing that all of us said was, what what is the end game here? Because you know, sooner or later, you're, you're going to have to, to go back, Right. But you had a number of these representatives who decided to stay gone. Well, that all ended in the last couple of days when a handful of them, I think at least three, enough to break up the, the, the stalemate, enough to give the, the, the Texas legislature the quorum it needed. Three of the Democrats who had previously fled, they came back to the state. And so now what you have is this huge split. I'm looking at a story in the New York Times that you have all the the other people who fled the state many of whom had COVID and turned that whole thing into somewhat of a super spreader event. They, they were planning on staying gone. Now they feel betrayed by a few of their colleagues who have actually gone back to do their job. But it, it again, it raises this whole question about what did you think was the end game? You know, when people talk about doing this stuff and we're going to flee the state, unless you're willing to, to stay gone for, in, in this case, uh, you know, and until, you know, the, the next election, which isn't for another year and a half, unless you're willing to stay gone, what do you think that you're going to accomplish? And the answer is, all you do is you stall stuff, but you don't get anywhere. And so this legislation, good or bad, right or wrong, it's going to pass the Texas legislature like it should have done a month ago. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. In the course of a given day, I probably get several hundred texts and, you know, not not as many emails, but but a, a good number of emails. It depends on what the topic is. And and sometimes, you know, we can we can get four or five hundred texts, sometimes more and, and not that many emails, but still, you know, a lot. And I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the feedback. And I I I. I don't answer all of them because the volume's so large, but I, you know, I, I, I read most of them. I won't even say I read all of them, but I, I take a look at, at some of them and, and most of them uh, I'll sit there and I'll say, okay, well, I appreciate this perspective or people agree or disagree and that's fine. It's, it's, it's a free country. Every once in a while, and it doesn't happen often, but every once in a while there is, there is a text or an email that is just so out there that I, I can't 
I, I actually even follow up occasionally because I, I can't believe that there are people who really think that way, and, and yet they are. And I, and I got one of those, it was either last week or maybe the, the week before. We were talking about the Chicago police officer, the 29-year-old officer, her name was Ella French. And if you might remember the, the story, she was she was on patrol with two other Chicago police department officers in um, a relatively high crime area of Chicago. They pull over this car. And what happened was that they go up to the car and it's it's a guy in the front, his girlfriend sitting next to him and then another guy. And they turn out to be brothers in the back. Long story short, what happens is um, there, there's like an open container of alcohol and they, they, they tell the people get out of the car. So rather than get out of the, one of them gets the, they start to get out of the car. One of them, the guy in the back seat, starts to struggle with the police. The driver flees from the cops, starts running. So one cop chases after him. The guy who's getting out of the back seat, he's struggling with the cops. He pulls out a gun and shoots um, both Chicago police officers, kills Officer French. Uh, the other police officer, at least last time I checked, was still in critical condition. But he, he murders him in, in cold blood. And... Um, so then, then what happens is the the other officer is running. He hears the shots. He comes back. It, but it's it's just it's a horrible situation that really in a city like Chicago, which is a giant killing field, really shocked a lot of the populace. So we were talking about this from a couple different perspectives, and I get an, I get a text from somebody saying, "Well, you know, if." If they hadn't made them get out of the car in the first place, none of this would have ever happened. You know, and then because both of the suspects were black, then the, the texter, you know, plays the race card. Well, so if, if that was you and your wife, you know, they would have made you get out of the car. So, I mean, essentially, so it's the police that made these guys, you know, after they'd made a legitimate traffic stop, after they'd asked them to step out of the car and then they started fighting with them, the argument was it, it's... It's if the police had not made them get out of the car, they hadn't done this, they hadn't done the traffic stop in the first place. Well, then it would not have escalated in this fashion. And I remember I sent the person a note saying, I cannot believe that you would really try to figure out a way to indirectly blame the police for what happened. Well, I wasn't really blaming the police. I was just kind of I I was just saying it's just kind of the reality. But no, they were blaming the police. They, They made the traffic stop. And that then because they asked the people to get out of the car that then generated the entire situation so i was thinking about this when i saw this horrible story that that happened over the weekend there is a greenfield police officer who is in critical condition after being shot about on around 27th and beecher on one at one thirty in the morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning. So, if you haven't heard the, the story, apparently what happened is the the police um, made a traffic stop. Okay, so they pull over. There, there's three Greenfield police officers, I believe. They they pull over a, a car. Don't know what the traffic stop was for, but they pull over the car. The car initially stops and then takes off. All right. So after the effort stopped, it flees. A chase then ensued and they, they follow him. And the it's about um, it started on 35th in Oklahoma. So it ends up three miles away on 27th and Beecher when the suspect, the guy who's fleeing, you know, ends up crashing the car. The guy who's driving the car, the bad guy, gets out of the car. The police 
order him to surrender. He pulls out a gun and starts shooting at the police officer, hits one Greenfield police officer who's now in critical condition, and then the other two officers um, return fire and hit and kill the bad guy. And so that's that's sort of the dynamic that, that's going on here. But this all started because, again, it, it was a traffic stop that the guy started to flee from. So this kind of brings me full circle. Up in Minneapolis, where you, you had the whole start of, like, the police are bad kind of movement, you know, following the George Floyd case, um, Minneapolis pl- police are now under directives to to not make minor traffic stops for fear that situations might escalate. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What sort of community do you want to live in? Because that's what it really comes down to. Do we want the police... Do we want them to be pulling over people for if, if there are traffic violations that, that are out there? Do we want the police to be going and checking people's uh, identities and things like that? If the police try to pull somebody over and somebody takes off, do we want the police chasing them or do we just want to let it go? Because understandably, every time the police have to come into one of these encounters, you can run into somebody like you ran into, the Greenfield police unfortunately ran into on Saturday night, Sunday morning, somebody who has no regard for human life, who decides that they're going to, for whatever reason, get into a shootout with police. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this underscores two things. Number one, there is no such thing, and I say this all the time, as a routine traffic stop. You pull somebody over because they've got a taillight out or they're speeding or there's expired plates or whatever it is, you never know from a police officer's perspective what you're going to be encountering. Because it could just be the guy and his wife that are, you know, driving home and you've forgotten to renew the plate or somebody had stolen the, the renewal off or you didn't know you had a brake light out. Or it could be somebody who is armed to the teeth who for whatever reason is prepared to shoot it out to the death with police officers. So number one, there's no such thing as a routine traffic stop, which is why if you ever get pulled over, I would encourage you to cut the officers a little bit of slack because they never know what they're walking up to. Number two, though, the larger question is, I I want the police to do their job. All right, all this, well, we don't think that they should making the traffic stops or we think they should be letting them drive away. No, You had, in this case, in Greenfield, this guy was clearly a homicidal maniac. I mean, he's willing to shoot it out with police. Who knows why he's willing to shoot it out with police? But if the police hadn't tried to stop him, what do you think he was going to do later on? 855-616-1620. I want the police to enforce the laws. I, I, and I'm a big believer in broken windows. I, I want the police to pull people over. I want police to use the legally authorized tactics that they're allowed to do. And I appreciate the fact that unfortunately they take their lives into their own hand, into their, they, they put their lives at risk every time they do it. But I just don't want us to get to a point where we say, well, you know, you shouldn't be doing this type of stuff. No, we, your part of the job is protect and serve. And yeah, if that means you've got a car at one thirty in the morning that's driving and there's some sort of violations, I want you to pull them over. 855-616-1620. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. John and Rippin. John, good afternoon. Hey, how you doing? Hi, John. Hi, Dan. Uh, so you're asking my thoughts on this? Yeah. Yeah, I I think they should make the stop. Uh, the concern I have is uh, these guys have guns and they're driving in their cars. You got open alcohol. They're driving in their cars. Uh, my experience is, that, you know, cops if, if they stop and it's a minor infraction, they generally would give you a warning. Mm-hmm. So why are these people freaking out and then and then doing this? Now we have bad cops yeah. and, and then citizens, us citizens. I mean, I kind of want to live in a country where you can feel safe on the streets. So. I, I want them off the streets. Yeah, I'm with John. Thanks. I mean, I, I I'm with you now. Now, keep in mind. I mean, this this situation. A couple of people are asking the the original traffic stop. This was by a Greenfield police officer, but it actually occurred in the city of Milwaukee. It was it was a little wise ways out of Greenfield. And, and the way, by the way, the the law works is if you if you're if you're a licensed law if you're a, license, a law enforcement officer in Milwaukee County, um, you you have the authority to, for example, to, to make an arrest and make a traffic stop anywhere. They they don't know because the officer was shot. They they don't and is in critical condition. They don't know why he he made the initial stop. All they know is um, that that there that there was the chase that ensued. The guy pulled over and, and then ended up taking off. But that's not that's not a legal issue one way or the other. But I, I'm with you, John. I mean, th- this is the whole situation. I want you have in the situation in Chicago and the situation here. You have somebody that's driving. In this case, it's one thirty in the morning. He he's he's got a firearm and he's willing to use it. Now that that's the question. Why did he flee in the first place? What else might have been in the car was he a felon i don't know any of those answers all i know is that the guy took off and then made the decision that he was going to get a shoot into a shootout with police which tells me this is a very very dangerous man and the problem i think that the law that you have from a law enforcement perspective is if you let him go and a number of the texters are making that that point that if you let him go i mean what what happens if two and a half hours later uh the man drives into a, a gas station, for example, not unlike what happened down in, in was it Racine or Kenosha not that long ago, he drives into a gas station and shoots up that place. And then it turns out that, oh, well, you know, he was he was the Greenfield police that pulled him over and then he took off and they let him go. And now you've got a bunch of people that are dead three hours later at the gas station when if they would have arguably chased him and tried to bring him down, maybe that type of stuff wouldn't happen. So you can play the would have, could have, should have game, you know, as much as you want and you can try to second guess this as much as you want but the bottom line uh, of all this is that you know the police are there to do a job and if they spot moving violations and they've got the authority to, to pull them over if you've got probable cause to stop somebody for whatever reason i want them to do that and then if if bad stuff happens to me it, it's on it's on the perpetrator but i don't want those perpetrators just to be willing to drive off we saw what happened in the city of milwaukee where you went through a period of about four or five years thanks to mayor tom barrett and the former police chief ed flynn who came up with this completely cockamamie scheme to uh, to not pull over people this chase policy that they had that 
made it almost impossible for police to to actually chase cars. I mean, you had to know that there was a felony being committed or something like that, and and, and you don't know why people are running. That that's it. You never know why somebody is running. They they might be running because they're drunk. They might be running because they just think that it's going to be fun. They might be running because they've got a body in the trunk. You you don't know. The cops don't know why somebody is taken off. They just know that the person is taken off. And we went through four or five years where we sent out this message that it's okay to run. Blow through stoplights. Do whatever you want. Drive however you want, and we're not going to chase you. Now at least we chase you. The problem, of course, is now we don't prosecute you after we catch you, but that's not a police problem. That's a court system problem. That's a public elected official problem. It's a judge problem. It's a DA's problem. But I want people to be pulled over. This Greenfield police officer is a hero puts his life on the line, just like his fellow officers did, by trying to pursue somebody who is running with him. And again, you're you're the cop. You're going, I don't know why this guy is running. I just, I just pulled him over because whatever reason that was. But all I know is he stopped and now he has taken off. This officer is a hero, just like the men and women who go out on a regular basis and put their lives on the line are heroes. And again, I caution you, one of the things are, if you ever get pulled over because you made an illegal U-turn or you went through a red light, or you were driving 11 miles over the hour over the limit and the officer is circumspect with you or appears a little abrupt or whatever you, you, you really you got to cut them some slack because they they don't know what they're walking up onto thankfully most traffic stops you know proceed normally um, do you know why I pulled you over? No, I don't, officer. Or a lot of people say, yeah, I know, I was kind of speeding. Wh- whatever. Then you've got the interaction, and can I see your license? Can I see your registration? Can I see your insurance card? Most of the interactions between police and between citizens who get stopped, they, they go according to Hoyle. You know, no, no problem. Here's my driver's license. Here's my insurance card. You know, here's the registration. Fine. They walk back. They run it. You know, everything. everything's fine. You get a ticket. You get a warning. Whatever. Um, but every once in a while, you have situations like you don't know why the person has now run or the police officer walks up, conducts the investigation. And in the Ella French case out of Chicago, turns out you've got some guy in the back seat who decides that for whatever reason he's going to resist arrest. He pulls out a gun and at close range shoots two police officers, including killing one. And that's that's why I think you have to cut police officers some slack. And like I say. I always say this, eh? police officers aren't perfect. If if somebody doesn't have the probable cause to pull you over or is engaging, I don't know, in something that's excessive or unlawful, just, just go along with it. There, there'll be an opportunity for that to all work itself out later. But in this case, if you ever wonder why officers might be on edge, it's because things like what happened Saturday night, Sunday morning in Greenfield happen all too often. I, for one, though, don't want to see the police officers stop enforcing the law. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Greg Metz, before before you head out, I, I was interested in your thoughts. After the, the Packers exhibition game on Saturday, at, at the post-game press conference, the Packers coach, Matt LaFleur, one of the things he said was sort of, uh, it was kind of a dig at the fans who were at Lambeau Field because apparently they, they were 
the Packers had the ball third down and they were yelling, go pack, go, you know, when they're trying to do this. And they were, there was another plan later on that there's a crucial red zone possession and they're doing the wave. And he was like, you know, uh, knock it off here. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, this is, uh, I, this is a thing. We've heard Aaron Rodgers talk about it as well. Love the fans. Fans are great. Just try and be quiet when we have the ball on offense. You know, I, I think largely, Jeff, the numbers we saw on offense last year, were extraordinary. We've never seen an offensive performance like we saw collectively in the NFL a year ago. Do you know why? There's no fans in the stands. Right, because right? they, they, they could hear the plays. Right. And they could, right yeah. you, you go to New Orleans, you can't hear your heartbeat, for goodness sake. You, you can't see anything. It's just a blur. It's loud. It's crazy. Well, not last year. And, mm-hmm. and numbers are put up. So quiet is good when you're on offense, and I think that's what Matt LaFleur is trying to say. Well, the, see, I'm less about the go-pack-go thing, but at the risk of sounding like a curmudgeon, I, the, the doing the wave drives me nuts. So I know, but but it is, it, it's it's almost like, and I, look, I, I get it. You, you pay your t- you, you pay money. You want it to be an experience. I was at the the Brewers game, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. I forget which one it was, but it was it was it was sort of a crucial period in the game. And I forget what team that they were playing, but it was a close game, and the Brewers had an at bat. And all these idiots in the stands are they're they're doing the wave. Nobody's paying attention to the game on the field. They're doing the wave, and they're doing the wave, and they're doing the wave, and it doesn't stop. And it's kind of like. You know, don't you realize that there's a game going on here, and aren't you paying attention to this? Uh, yeah, and I, I guess in baseball, I'd, when is the best time for the wave, right? When when a guy's pitching for your team or when you've got Christian Yelich at the plate? Uh, my answer to the question is just, can we retire the wave? Well, but- the, well exactly, and it, it was really kind of getting annoying because it, it was a it was kind of a crucial moment in in the ball game, and you're you're sitting there and you're watching, and everybody's trying to concentrate on the game, except then you all these people standing up and they're they're doing the wave, and it's like. Okay, maybe between innings, I don't know, between the interminable pitching changes, God knows there's enough time that's dead time in baseball games where you can do all sorts of things. But it was, my buddy and I were both like, okay, why aren't people watching the game here? So, <laughs> again, at the risk of sounding like a curmudgeon, I understand that you, it's just there's a time and a place for everything. And, you know, when it's 3-3 three to three in the bottom of the seventh inning and your team has two guys on, maybe that's not the time to do the wave. Yeah, I, I think in football, Matt LaFleur is all for it when the opposing team has the ball and you know you're trying to disrupt their timing and make it loud hard to hear the calls at right. the line of scrimmage but you got a red zone situation going on and Aaron Rodgers ready to pounce the ball into the end zone it's just kind of yeah, just, just pin drop is right, good right dial back. yeah okay well that was kind of my sense and again I it, it's just I don't know like I say baseball lots of dead time but <laughs> we're at this game and and it's a really it's a crucial part of the game and nobody's watching the game everybody's standing up and you and they keep doing it and doing it and it's like all right th- this is sort of jumped I think the wave in general has jumped the shark okay want to talk about uh, something that that Mike Spaulding was talking about during the news the state of Wisconsin has now announced a $100 reward program for people to get um, vaccinated. Here's the way it works. Anybody that gets anybody ages 12 and older who gets a first dose of any coronavirus vaccine from a Wisconsin provider between August 20th and September 6th will get a $100 Visa gift card. So it, it's 
it, it, it's kind of like if you've ever been like at the airport and it's uh, they're, they're in an oversold situation. You know, first of all, they come out and they say, OK, we're looking for volunteers. We'll put you on the plane a couple you know, hours later. We'll, we'll get you to your destination a few hours later. And then if they don't get enough takers, then they say, and then we're going to give you a travel voucher. And if they still don't get enough takers, they, they add other stuff. So for many of us, you know, we got our vaccinations because we, we thought it was the right thing to do and we wanted to be safe and we wanted to return to normalcy. There's still a good chunk of Wisconsinites who, as we've talked about on multiple occasions, haven't done it. So now the, the state of Wisconsin is essentially trying to bribe, and I'm not I'm not judging it. They're, we're saying, okay, for the people who haven't made this decision yet, tell you what, we're going to give you a sweetener. You could have gotten a vaccine at the uh, state fair a week or so ago, um, and you could have gotten a three-pack of cream puffs. Well, okay, if you didn't do that, now we're going to give you a $100 Visa gift card. Anybody age 12 and older. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, actually, and this might surprise some of you, I, I really I don't have a problem with the idea of trying to incentivize this. Um, r- right now, we are at a stage where I believe that most of the people who have not gotten vaccinated are kind of dug in, and they're they're probably not going to make that decision to get vaccinated. At least at least not in large numbers. Now maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I I just I, I don't believe that's going to be the case. But now we're giving a hundred dollar incentive. I really don't have an issue with that. If we agree in general that giving vaccines are a, a good way to go. And we want to give endure encouragement for people to do it. I really don't have the problem with it, but it's a hundred bucks for people who've made the decision not to get vaccinated. I just don't see that making that much of a difference. Gee, I, I wasn't going to get vaccinated. I passed up all these opportunities, but if I get vaccinated in the next two weeks, I, I'm going to get a hundred dollar visa di- gift card. 855-616-1620. I am not critical of the effort necessarily. I am skeptical, though, as to whether it's going to make a big difference. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, for people who've already made the decision not to get vaccinated, all right, will a $100 gift card, will that cause them to say, okay, now I'm going to run out and get the shot? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. It's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with uh, Kathy in Whitefish Bay. Kathy, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I think it'll work for our people twelve to twenty four. A uh, hundred dollars goes a long way, especially if you're not working. I think also if you're on a fixed income, maybe they should split up the vaccine incentive fifty dollars first time. $50 to, to make sure you get the second shot. So you think that uh, th- that 100 bucks will be a significant motivator on people who've already n- made the decision, at least so far, have passed on getting the vaccine? I do. Hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean, th- thanks for calling. I mean, t- time, time, will tell, time will tell on this. I don't know. I, I guess it's funny. I'm getting a couple of texts saying, um, no, I, you know, it's, it would have to be a lot more for me. I've already made the decision not to get it. I mean, I guess to, to me, it's it's a is it a perk 
Is it a nice perk? Oh, okay. I mean, I, I understand that. And, and by the way, I'm not one of these guys who's arguing, well, what about me? I mean, if, if for everybody who got the vaccines earlier, are you chumps? Because if you would have waited to this point, you would have gotten $100. No, you got the vaccines and you got that added protection against COVID and things like that. I don't, I don't so much fault it. I'm just wondering if this is going to be the thing that incentivizes people to do it. And, and from the perspective of, of the parents, I don't I don't know if for whatever reason you've been hesitant about having your 12 or 13 year old get vaccinated now that you can get hundred dollar gift cards, visa gift cards. Is that what's going to motivate you to take them in? And as far as the you know, she was saying older people. Well, I guess I think most older people. And if you look at where the vaccination numbers come from, it has been among older people who are most likely to get vaccinated because they recognize that they're most likely to have like really bad results if it comes from COVID. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Carrie in uh, Greenfield, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Hi. What do you Hi. think? Yes, I um, my take on this is that I have two teenage boys at home, ages seventeen and fifteen, and I've been wanting to get them vaccinated, and I just haven't. I've just been there's no reason why I haven't yet, and they want to get vaccinated. So now that the state is offering this hundred dollar Visa gift card, I will. It is this will be an incentive for me to take them in and get them vaccinated. Okay, you you would have probably. It would I be correct in saying that you were you were probably going to do it anyways at some point in time, but this is this is just it's kind of like that yeah. icing on the cake, yeah, that does it. Exactly. And my seventeen year old son keeps asking me, "Mom, when are you going to take me in to get me vaccinated?" And right. I just and I should have done it. I was right. I should have done it already. Cause I want to get them vaccinated. I just hasn't been on my. Yeah, I, I get it. And so now it's a little bit of incentive, and I appreciate that, Carrie. Exactly. Let's. What if what if you were. I don't know. What if you had made the decision or didn't want your kids to get vaccinated for for whatever reason? Do you think the hundred dollars would have would have been enough to change your mind? No, yeah. no, it was that right. No, it's just right, and I, I get it. That, that's it's just, this is something that said, hey, if we were going to do this anyways, so we go in, and we do it in the next two weeks, right. and we get a hundred bucks <laughs> gift card apiece, and the the kids can go out and buy whatever. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, th- th- thanks exactly. for, no, no, thanks for calling. I, I get it. And so t- to that extent, those those people, I get it, that are in the, the boat that you're in, Carrie, where we were always going to get it. We just haven't, you know, we, we haven't made it a priority. Yeah, it, it's probably a little nice perk. And, and my guess is that it will it'll jack up the vaccination numbers a little bit. Don't know if it's going to make a significant difference, though. But again, I'm I'm not anti this. I'm just wondering, you know, how much it makes a difference. A lot of people are saying, well, it, I, I like your analogy about like the, the airline flights for overbooking. I'm going to wait till it's a thousand dollars or I'm going to wait till it's 10,000. Well, my, my guess is I, I wouldn't wait too long because I, I'm not sure that this is the carrot. My guess is the next thing now that the Pfizer vaccine has been approved, my guess is that the next thing is going to be, you know, more mandates. So it's going to be the stick approach, which is, you know, if you want to go out and you want to go into restaurants or things like that, it's going to be more government regulation. So if you want to get the hundred bucks and you're thinking about this and you're like Carrie and want to get the kids in, I, I would, I would advise you probably to do it relatively soon. Connie, Connie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey. Hi, How are you doing? I'm well, thank I'm well, thank you. What do uh, you think? Well, I think I know a couple of people who have been on the fence who have said that, yeah, I'm going to get it. Uh, I think I'm going to get it. I think, yeah, if 
this might be the time that they might just go ahead and get it because they're going to get an incentive, even though, you know, right now they were considering seriously to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also know people who whole households of family members came down with COVID within the last month and still aren't going to get vaccinated. And a $100 gift card is not going to uh, right. make them motivated to get it. Right. Yeah, it's, it, right. Th- thanks. And see, and I think that's the, I, I mean, I think for the people like our last, second last caller, Carrie, you know, who who is always going to do it. It's just, it's it's on my list of things. I want to take the kids in and get them vaccinated, but it's like number 12 on the list. And, you know, we still have a, a bunch of other things that we have to take care of first. I, I yeah, that, that might be the incentive. I just don't know how many of the people like Carrie that are out there. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm 25. I have not been vaccinated yet frankly a hundred dollars is not enough incentive for me to do it jeff will it go up to two hundred dollars if i wait longer i'm asking for a friend i think that you know he's kind of being tongue-in-cheek with that but i mean i guess that's that's the that's the question do people think that they're going to add more and more incentives I mean, with, with Tony Evers and the Evers administration, I, I I don't know. You can't predict this stuff. But like I say, my guess is th- this this is the carrot. I think more likely, especially like I said a minute ago, now that the Pfizer vaccine is moved from emergency approval to regular use, I, I think moving forward, the more likelihood is going to be it, it's going to be a a stick. Let's talk to Mike in West Bend on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I guess my thought is, or maybe a question even to you is, is this misplaced a little bit, misguided? Are we focusing on the money uh, aspect of this too much and rather where it's coming from? Uh, Bottom line, I think the government has done more than it needed to in its efforts to make people aware of this uh, coronavirus and the implications, health health Mm -hmm. problems. What? Why wouldn't this better come from a, an organization that people love and trust, uh, the American Cancer Society or Big Brothers Big Sisters, uh, some organization who has a campaign to get gift cards into people's hands for helping out the cause? Uh, why does this always have to fall on a government uh, uh, well, lap? Well, I mean, okay, here's the deal. I'm looking at the numbers. As of Friday... of the state's population had received at least one dose of the COVID vaccine. I I don't know how many are are fully vaccinated. Actually, I'm a... I'm a little surprised that it's only 53.7%. Aren't you? That, that's, that, I would have thought more than 53.7% of the state population would have been fully vaccinated, but I guess, I, I, I guess not. I would agree. Now, does it further break that down as to what portions of the state that is? Is it the big cities, Milwaukee, Madison, or is that the rural communities of northwestern Wisconsin? Yeah, fair question. I don't, I don't have that in front of me. I, and I, I'm sure that they have those numbers. Hey, hey thanks for the call. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting point. I guess that, you know, and some people are arguing, is this an appropriate use of, of taxpayer dollars to give this, this kind of incentive that's out there? I, I guess, I, I guess the bottom line is if, if you view this as a public health crisis, uh, th- then that's the, the sort of justification for it. And I will say a number of people are texting me saying, hey, we, you know, we were responsible. We, we got vaccinated and, and by responsible, I, I'm meaning that the people who made the decision to to get vaccinated in the first place, we we got vaccinated as soon as we possibly could. You know, where where's our hundred bucks? Well, I'm 
you know, that's I, I'm not necessarily that sympathetic to this. I mean, the bottom line is for those of us who made the decision to get vaccinated early on in the process, there were a lot of reasons for doing that, including the fact that I, I thought it made it less likely that I would be hospitalized if I got COVID again. I had COVID last November. And so I, I did it. I, I did it selfishly for for me now i think it helps other people as well but i did it for me because i didn't want to get sick again and and perhaps get sicker than i got like last november so i I didn't care about the hundred dollars one way or the other if it motivates people to get vaccinated and i do believe that for most people getting vaccinated is the right thing to do i'm not going to be that bent out of shape about it i will tell you I'm not sure how many people, other than unless you're in the boat like one of our callers was, where you were always intending to do it, this might push you over the edge. But for people who are dug in saying, I'm not going to get vaccinated, I'm not sure a $100 Visa gift card is going to make any difference. But we will see because we'll know how many gift cards were sent out um, after September 6th. Let's take a quick break. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It will not be the tri- tri- of trial of the century. It probably won't be the trial of the decade, but it might be the, the trial of the year. And unless there are more delays, it's scheduled to start on November 1st. Uh, today is the one-year anniversary of the, the incident, this police shooting of, of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, which set off multiple nights of, of rioting. Well, okay, two days later, August 25th of 2020, there was an incident that has really, I think it's, it's, um, riveted and in many cases it's really split this country. And that is Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse is the seven, then 17, now 18 year old young man who is scheduled to go on trial on November 1st. He's been charged with first degree reckless homicide for the shooting deaths of a guy named Joseph Rosenbaum of Kenosha and Anthony Huber of Silver Lake and the attempted first-degree intentional homicide for shooting and severely injuring a West Dallas man. He's also charged with carrying a dangerous weapon as, as a minor. There, there's, this is not a whodunit. Um, rather, this is a why was this done and what was the motivation of this. And there's all sorts of videos. We probably, you know, we, we've all seen the different videos. The defense... The defense team says, look, here's the deal. Um, Rittenhouse was, you know, running after a a shooting. He was pursued by a crowd. He fell to a street. Um, He was hit with a skateboard by one of the guys. And then he he shot that man in the chest, killing him. He then, you know, fired um, further down Sheridan Road at at another man. Um, the defense attorneys are going to say, look, this is, this is a situation of, of self-defense that he was in there. The prosecution is going to say, look, Rittenhouse put himself in the position to behave recklessly in the first shooting by coming to the Kenosha protests armed with an AR-15 despite being underage. He stayed on the street past the emergency curfew and that he acted rest, uh, recklessly in, you know, killing the first man who had thrown a plastic bag at him while another protester fired a gun in the air. And then when other people tried to stop him after he shot, you know, th- this wasn't a legitimate exercise in self-defense. Again, we have a, a very, very polarized state, 
polarized community, polarized nation. And people look at this and view this case in two very distinct ways. The prosecution has... I think, in my opinion, tried to complicate things in certain respects by trying to introduce all sorts of other what are we what they call other acts evidence here we want to show a video of him you know a couple of weeks later we want to show this we want to introduce evidence of you know what went on you know before this days and weeks beforehand to show that Rittenhouse was kind of a, a bad actor who went to Kenosha looking for trouble not sure whether the court's going to allow that or not our number is 855-616-1620 that is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line what do you think is going to happen in the Kyle Rittenhouse case if and when it finally goes to trial on November 1st. By that time, um, over over a year will have passed since the incident, but I think people's positions are probably more firmly ingrained than ever. All right, is Rittenhouse a, a victim, um, somebody who was attacked and who was defending himself, or is he, as the prosecution suggests, somebody who who's a murderer? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you think this is going to play out? We discuss in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, and here's the key thing that the jury in the Rittenhouse case is going to have to decide. Under Wisconsin, because there, there's no question, this is not a, a what was done. He, he clearly shot and killed two people and shot and severely injured a third. Under Wisconsin law, somebody can only use deadly force, and shooting somebody with a rifle is deadly force, if you reasonably believe that the force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to himself or, or herself. And, and also, if, if you're the one that creates the, the situation, well, I mean, self-defense might ne- not necessarily apply. So in other words, you, you know, you can't, for example, you can't claim that, um, gee, I was shooting people from a bell tower and then other people started shooting back at me. So I was justified and then shooting at them further. So that, that's, that's it. In deciding necessity, a jury can consider whether a person, in this case Rittenhouse, could have further withdrawn or retreated. Um, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you this. I think um, I, I think proving self-defense, in my opinion, in a case like this, it is going to be a it's going to be a tough battle. Um, I, once this issue is raised, the prosecution then has to dispel it beyond a reasonable doubt. But I, I think this is a tough case to prove self-defense on. 855-616-1620. Larry. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. What's what's going to happen here? Well, I, I can't really tell what's going to happen, but he's going to get punished somehow. I don't think life in prison he's going to get that. But... He, he's got two strikes against him. He bought a gun illegally, and he's 17 years old, crossing the state line and going down there. He obviously, he went there looking for trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty obvious. And he found it, and, you know, I've got friends that stuck up for him, saying he's a hero. I said, but I'll bet he, right now, he wishes he hadn't done that. Well, so, you would you would certainly and, hope so. Uh, no, no, thanks, Nicole. I see, I don't... I, and, and I mean, I've heard that too. I, I don't think, 
See, I don't think there's any way you can describe Kyle Rittenhouse as a hero. I'm I'm sorry. I I just don't. Now, you can argue about is he, you know, are are they going to be able to prove him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt? But, right, he, and, and I said this at the time, I think there's a lot of criticism to go around considering, you know, first of all, the rioters down in Kenosha for three nights, although by the third night, the police had finally had it under control, uh, whether it's Governor Tony Evers and his, I think, timid response in the beginning with regard to not sending enough National Guard troops and then also kind of putting limits on what it was that they were able to do. So I, mean, I think there's a lot of blame to go around. And as we've talked about with, I, I think, the various authorities in Kenosha, they acknowledge early on they were undermanned. They, they just did not have enough people. So e- even though there's a lot of blame to go around, I, I think the idea of a 17-year-old you know, carrying a, a rifle and, and showing up gratuitously on the third night of this thing, obviously prepared to use it, that, that, that's not heroic. <laughs> okay, that's, I mean, a, a hero, hero is the guy that runs into the burning building to pull the babies out, uh, out of the fire. That, that's it. The, the hero is maybe the person that, that runs out and confronts the armed uh, person who, who's shooting people indiscriminately at the workplace. Kyle Rittenhouse, I don't think by any way, stretch, or form, is a hero. Now, that's not to say that they're going to be able to prove him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. But I, I do I do say, and I do believe, and I agree with you, that, that going there in the fashion that he did, armed as he was, kind of indicates that he was sort of looking for trouble, and he, he found it um, that night. 855-616-1620. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. Yeah, I think Carl uh, Rittenhouse went there as a pseudo-like uh, citizen enforcement guy, and uh, he looking looking kind of for trouble or just being a presence there. But the tables got turned on him when his gun got taken away from him, sort of. Or videos I've seen or whatever, but then all of a sudden now he's like claiming self-defense, which he's got a case about. They probably would have shot him or whatever, I'm thinking. But now it's up to the jury, and I, if I was on the jury, I keep looking for trouble and getting it. I think he might have deserved it, but I don't know how it's, how it vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, thanks for we'll seeing Mike and seeing. Here, here's where it, it's going to get really tough. It Okay, so imagine, let, let's take the Rittenhouse thing out of it, but imagine... You see somebody who has shot somebody else on the street. Okay, you, you you watch somebody who shot somebody on the street, and then that person is leaving the scene. So you you decide that like it. Let, let's let's take out the Kenosha thing. Let's take out Rittenhouse. You you happen to, you as an observer, you're you're on the sidewalks and you see somebody that shot somebody else, and they're they're trying to leave the scene. They're trying to flee. So what what do you do? You decide that you're going to hey, I'm going to stop him. I I just watched this guy shoot somebody else in cold blood. I I want to stop him. So you and a couple other people who witnessed this on the street, you go running up and and you you attack him. And I say attack. You you try to detain him. You try to hold him. You try to get the gun out of his hand and then he turns and shoots you well okay is, is that is that a legitimate exercise in in self defense i mean do you realistically believe and, and i'm just telling you that's why this becomes difficult because i mean that's what the prosecution's going to argue they're going to say look this wasn't self-defense you have these citizens that were trying to do the right thing they were trying to detain somebody who they just witnessed at least in their mind they just witnessed somebody shoot somebody else in cold blood and they were trying to stop him because you know they, they didn't know he might he might be killing other people these these folks are, are heroes in trying to detain him now maybe you don't 
don't buy into that one way or the other. But I, I'm just saying that that's that is the perspective, and that's what the jury is going to be, you know, entitled to ask. And I know Mike's last comment was, well, maybe some people are going to think that he was defending himself because when the guy with the skateboard hit him, he was trying to, you know, he, he might have taken the gun and shot him. Well, on the other hand, the argument is the guy with the skateboard was trying to stop somebody who just murdered somebody in cold blood from getting away, and he was trying to disarm him. At least if I was the prosecutor, that that's certainly the argument that I would make, and that it, it wasn't like anybody trained a gun on him they were just trying to knock him down to detain him and that there was no right to pull out a gun and shoot somebody at at close range if i was the prosecutor that would be the argument that i would be making to the jury frank and west bender on wtmj good afternoon Oh, lost Frank. Okay, let's see. 855-616-1620. Jeff, he's certainly guilty in illegally having a gun. Yeah, I mean, the defense attorneys are going to argue that there's a technicality that would allow him at 17 to carry a firearm. Don't know how far that's going to go. Um, um, On the other hand, I suspect a hung jury on the other trial, on the other charges. Everyone involved in the shooting should not have been there. Jeff, you are totally missing the point. The people that were shot were down there looking for trouble. They weren't Kenosha residences. They were rioters. Well, okay, that... Look, there, there's no evidence that, that that's the case, that, that the people who were shot were, were down there looking for trouble. The only issue is going to be is, is were they posing threats? You know, was Rittenhouse's life in danger when he – so it's a legitimate ex- exercise in self-defense. The motives of why somebody was on the scene that night I, I think are completely and, and totally irrelevant. So I, I think that that argument's not going to go on. Um, Jeff, as a Kenosha resident, I will say Kyle Rittenhouse – was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, he is comfortable because he is a, is a minor and an illegal uh, and a minor with an illegal weapon. Um, so uh, that's the. Then the person goes on to kind of said um, as to what's going to happen to him. I feel that the charges of murder against the man who threw the skateboard might be barking down somehow. Although the other two charges will probably be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. I will say this, and I I, I think there's almost no chance that this case pleads out. I, I just sometimes you see these cases and and you know that they're going to be resolved. In this case, given the way that the people are dug in on various sizes. On various sides, absolutely no way, at least in my opinion, that this case is resolved short of trial because the, the prosecution's in a perspective where they're, they're, they've got their theory. Everybody's seen this video. They believe that this was a, a variation of murder. The defendant, I mean, he's not going to plead guilty to crimes that I would assume would expose him to being in prison for years and years and years. Now, this is one that's going to go to trial. Like I say, I don't think it's going to be the trial of the decade or the trial of the century, but it's certainly, if it occurs on November 1st, it's going to be a trial that we're all going to be watching. My my prediction at this point in time is I, I think I think it's a tough sell for the defense to sell self-defense to to a jury once you look at everything. But, you know, time will tell. It depends on how the prosecution proceeds. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. If you want to wonder about how volatile that that whole Kenosha thing still remains, there's a conservative group called Empower Wisconsin that has been running TV ads focusing on I think legitimately 
the lack of effective action from Tony Evers. And it and it's not that did you send the National Guard, but it's did you really the question was did they send enough members of the National Guard and what instructions did they give to the National Guard, um, which essentially had them standing guard around a, a couple government buildings instead of going out and helping trying to aggressively get that city under control. Well, anyhow, there's a there's an ad that's been running that um a pair of attack ads that have been airing on Milwaukee TV stations, you know, again, going after Evers for his, what I think was a botched response. The Evers administration showing, the Evers campaign, showing how vulnerable I think they realize Tony Evers is. They're they're trying desperately to get these ads pulled, saying, oh, I think that this is false advertising and stuff. I, I don't know about the merits of this particular ad one way or the other, but I will tell you this. Um, th- this the handling of the Kenosha riots is going to be an issue in the 2022 campaign, and it's clearly an issue that Tony Evers sees himself as being vulnerable on. All right. When we come back in the next segment of the program, I, I want to revisit something we talked about last week. It sounds good in theory, but will it really work? Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Look, I, I, I understand that the government is pushing us to get into electric vehicles, and we've talked about this on a couple occasions in the past. See, my, my belief is that it's it right now it is a bridge too far. The internal combustion engine and is effective. The fossil fuels, the gasoline that run this, it's it's relatively inexpensive. And I, I think that there's huge problems with, with electric vehicles, which isn't to say that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, they, they might work it out. But we're a long way away from that. And, you know, we've talked about this before. And I understand that some of you are just big believers in the electric cars and stuff. But but there there are huge problems. It They are expensive to make um, right now. I don't believe that we have a power grid that could support switching, you know, half of the internal combustion engine cars over to electric vehicles. There's still huge issues with how long it takes to charge them, where these charging stations are. And and I believe for many people driving electric vehicles, it's not a practical thing at this point in time. Now, maybe if you got one for fun and, you know, you're, you're only going to be driving around, I don't know, the your immediate neighborhood or something like that, you can make it work. But in general, for, you know, daily use, especially if from occasion on occasion, you might have to drive several hundred miles. I don't believe it, it's practical and I don't believe that they are cost efficient. Well, on top of this, comes the latest story that in some cases that they might not be safe. GM, get this, Chevy Bolt. On Friday, GM announced a new recall that expands to all Chevrolet Bolt electric vehicles and new electric uh, vehicles for a fire risk. Okay, so here's apparently the deal. There is a concern that that some of the the Chevy Volts might really be like five-passenger stoves. And I don't mean to be flip, but this is it. GM has done a couple multiple recalls. Um, Last month, they recalled 68,600 of the model year 2017 to 2019 all-electric Bolt hatchbacks for the second time in less than a year because of a potential fire 
risk. They've apparently discovered manufacturing defects in some battery cells that were produced in in one of the facilities. And the concern is that some of the batteries supplied to GM for the bolts might not have one but two manufacturing defects, a torn anode anode tab and a folded separator present in the same battery cell, which increases the risk of fire. The company made the move after two bolts caught fire without impact in recent months. GM is confirming that at least one of the bolt fires was battery-related and happened despite the owner getting the fix from GM's first recall on the cars last November. Now, that would be a kind of troubling thing. You get this notice that your car is subject to a recall because of battery fires. You take it in, you get the recall work done, and then the thing still catches on fire. So GM is expanding the second recall to include an additional 9,300 of the 2019 model year bolts, as well as 60, almost 64,000 of the 20 to 22 model year bolt um, electric vehicles and all the new EUVs. Most of these are in the United States. They say GM will replace the defective battery modules in these cars with new modules. They expect the cost of this is going to be, wait for it, about a billion dollars. Um, the recall, the bolt recall has already cost about $800 million. Um, so they estimate that the total recalls um, this year is going to be about $1.8 billion. And um, it's they might go after the battery manufacturers as well to try to get some of this back. But but nevertheless, it, it for for everybody who thinks that like President Biden can just kind of wave a magic wand and say, okay, we're going to be put into we're going to be driving electric vehicles. That's going to be half of the production within the next seven or eight years. It's a lot more complicated than that. And it, will there be a point when the technology makes sense for these things? Absolutely. Will there be a point when we start to run out of fossil fuels and the cost of gasoline versus the cost of electric vehicles? It, it, it comes closer to being even. Yeah, there will be a point. Are we at that point now? No. And like I say, if, you, if you're in love with electric vehicles, and I know some of you are, my response is go with God. That, that's great. If that's what you want, um, I, I think it's fine. I don't think the taxpayer should be subsidizing your choice to drive that electric vehicle. I think you should be paying the full freight for it and let the free market decide. Like I say, at some point in time, that will be the electric vehicles probably will be the wave of the future. But I don't think... Um, I don't think it's any, I don't think it's close to, you know, any time in the next five to 10 years. Just don't think it's going to happen. Okay. I want to revisit something we talked about last week. I, President Biden, I, I, I see, I understand stuff in theory, but I live in the real world and I, I'm just convinced that more and more of these politicians don't. Um, President Biden, wants people who get in nursing homes and in work in medical facilities to be vaccinated. Understand. Right. So now what Biden has done is he's mandated people who work in nursing homes have to be vaccinated or else the federal government will not pay the nursing home money. They won't they won't honor, you know, Medicare or Medicaid payments and things like that. And effectively, nursing homes depend on that. So if, if you lose federal funding, you are going to close that. That's just it. So this is this is OK. It's it's like what the government does with um, with 
with the drinking age. The states can set their own drinking age, but if you don't have it, your drinking age at 21, you lose all the federal highway money. And so no state can afford to do it. So it's the way the government coerces using that power of the poorest to coerce stuff. Well, this is the same thing. The, the government can't mandate a nursing home in the state of Wisconsin to require all its employees to get vaccinated. But they, they can say, all right, if they're not all vaccinated, we're, we're, we're not going to give you money. Okay, so that, that, that's fine. And I understand the argument, hey, the nursing homes, are, you're dealing with patients that are most vulnerable. I understand why vaccinations would be a good thing. But here's the deal. And th- there was a story in the New York Times of all places about this. Nursing homes face quandary, vaccinate staff, or don't get paid. And that it goes on, it talks to some of these nursing home operators who say, well, look, we can't survive without the federal money, but we don't know where we're going to get the workers. Now, listen to these numbers. Of the 1.5 million nursing home staff in the United States, so ballpark, there's 1.5 million people who work at nursing homes. And that's various jobs. That's from skilled nurses to, I don't know, the, the people that are cooking food, the people that are, you know, changing the sheets. It, it's all across the board. 1.5 million nursing home staff in the United States. According to the New York Times as of Saturday, approximately 540,000, which is 40% of the workforce, are unvaccinated. The practical effect of Biden's policy is that workers are going to have to be vaccinated or they're going to lose their jobs. That, that's just the reality. And the, the point of the story is they're entering, interviewing all these nursing home operators who are saying, we have no idea, you know, where we're going to get the people to do these jobs because we can't find people to work in nursing homes as it is. And if, okay, so uh, right now you've got 540,000 who aren't vaccinated. So let's say, let's say, and I think it would be optimistic, but let's say you, you get you get 270,000. You get half of those people that decide they are going to get vaccinated over the course of the next couple months. Now, I think that's that's overly optimistic, but let's say it's that. That still leaves you with 270,000 people, about 20% of your workforce that's not vaccinated who's going to be fired. And these nursing home operators are saying, what the heck are we going to do? Um, we, we, we're, we're, we're short staff now. We can't get bodies. What's going to happen if we lose, you know, all these people? Now, in the same vein, New York Times also is running the story about you know, nurses, for example. And interestingly enough, you've got all these people in the the medical profession who aren't vaccinated, who are being militant, saying that they're going to walk if they're forced to get the vaccines. So I, I pulled these numbers. Um, among the nation's 50 largest hospitals, one in three workers who have had direct contact with patients have not received a single dose of the vaccine as of early June. Okay, now maybe it's gone up there. Um, New York, what they say is about 75% of the state's hospital workers um, ha- have been vaccinated, but that's 75%. What What do you do about that other 25%? Okay, our number seven, uh, is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand the motivation here. But but what in the real world, what is going to happen? What's going to happen to these nursing homes when all of a sudden 
20 to 25 percent of your workforce. You don't have enough people now when they have to be fired. How can you possibly replace them? For these hospitals, when it comes to the nurses, for example, and there's a lot of nurses, you've seen it on TV, they're out there protesting, they're dug in, they're saying, hey, we're part of the resistance, we're not going to be forced to get these vaccines. What do you do if suddenly, you know, in the next month or so, you got to fire 10 to 15% of your hospital staff? Who's going to do these jobs? Is this really practical? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, here's a text, Jeff. It's obvious that the people who are militant about not getting vaccinated don't give a damn about the residents in these nursing homes. Well, then I don't want them working there. Fire them, fire them, fire them, fire them. Okay, that that sounds good. It, it, it sounds good, but if these numbers are accurate, okay, 1.5 million nursing home staff in the United States, right now about 40% of the workforce, that's 540,000 people, are, are not vaccinated, okay? So l- let's again, let's say half of those 540,000 get vaccinated. All right, you, you, 20% of the workforce in an industry where you can't get people to work to begin with, who is going to do those jobs? And the thing is, a lot of those jobs, unlike unlike nursing, where maybe you can make an argument that the skills, if everybody collectively says you have to be vaccinated, it's not going to be easy to go from one nursing position to another. But let's face it, a lot of the people that are working in those nursing homes tend to be, you, you know, you're working, you're cleaning the floors. Well, you, you can go, you can go clean the floors, you know, at, at a hotel. You're, you're, you know, you can go be a maid at a hotel. There's, you could go work at Home Depot. They're doing, they're doing jobs which have a, an inherent worth to them, no question about it but they're jobs that okay you you could go you can get a job somewhere else where you don't have to be vaccinated so my question is as again as a practical matter how do you make this work can you make it work which is why i think the better way to do this is instead of saying you have to fire people who aren't vaccinated is you say that you either have to require vaccinations or you have to require constant testing. Yeah, I think you have to give you should give these employers that 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 escape hatch that says, all right, we're we're going to we're going to test people and maybe we're going to test them once a week. Maybe we're going to test them twice a week. Maybe we're going to charge them for the cost of the testing or whatever, something that maybe makes it so unpleasant that they just give in and say, hey, we're going to get vaccinated. But that would at least allow you to keep a greater percentage of your employees. Okay, let's talk to Ron in Michigan. Ron, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Um, I would agree with I agree with things that you suggested. Those are very good. But also, what we should do, we should go to the immigrants, ask them who has the education to fill those jobs, whether cook, this, that, or the other thing. Make sure they're vaccinated. Make sure they're healthy. Bring them into this country. Put them to work. We need them. Americans are not having babies. We've always asked the immigrants when we need we need people. We need people. We need truck drivers. We need everything. Restaurant workers. Construction. We don't have enough people who want to work. Well, the problem. We I mean, need soldiers. Okay, Ron. Well, thanks. Look, I, I guess big picture. Okay, we, we can have that discussion about, you know, do you bring people in? But, but that's, that, that might be a solution four or five, ten years down the road. That, that's not an immediate solution for what happens in November. If seriously, you, you, you have to get rid of 30, 
percent of the people that are working in nursing homes. Now, here's one of my texters that I think kind of misses the point. Jeff, are the people going to stay home and not work? In the cases of nurses, are they going to give up $125,000? Um, hmm, I'm not sure how many nurses make 125 grand, even including benefits, and sit at home or work at McDonald's. Trust me, when push comes to shove, virtually all of these people will get the vaccine. Well, okay, the the, the nurses that might be a difficult position to replicate. But most of the people, let, let's talk about the nursing homes. That's not nurses. A lot of the people that are ma- and working in the nursing homes again are the people who are i don't know making 13 bucks an hour maybe to like cook food or to you know um change sheets and and things like that this isn't it's not a high pay area and for many of the folks that are working in these nursing homes god bless them they they could they could find a job somewhere else which isn't going to require the mandatory vaccinations or at least i, I don't think will they can go stock shelves at the pick and save or, or do whatever and probably you know make the same amount of of money that, that's there so it, it's yes i understand for like certain highly skilled professions and maybe this is how it's going to play out for nurses they're, they're not going to be able that there's not going to be anywhere for them to go and and so the choice is either get out of the profession or get vaccinated but let's let's be realistic and that's all i'm saying with this segment we, we've got to be realistic when, when you have people who are working for example in a in a senior living facility there's there's a lot of them that again could work somewhere else and won't have to be vaccinated. Just tell me what the plan is, Mr. President, to replace the 20% or the 25% or the 30% of the people who leave. And, and for, for everybody else that's out there, and if you've got, you know, parents or grandparents in the nursing homes or whatever, or the senior living facilities, what are you going to do when all of a sudden the place that you're at has to close down? That's why I, I think there's got to be an escape valve. It's not just enough to say it, you either get vaccinated or you're fired. There, there has to be, there has to be other provisions. There has to be, all right, we're, we're going to give you the option of of testing people or whatever because if if you don't have that other option i just think you're going to lose people and not be able to replace them um when we come back we're going to find out what john and melissa have on their minds for wisconsin's afternoon news please stick around